The Truth News Network. Shaking your head yet? When a political agenda comes between friends, even family, not just by design, but by order of sitting government officials, someone is afraid of something, really afraid. What do we do now? We start by examining the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice on the battlefield is Dan Newman. Make no mistake, it is a battlefield and we're all on the battlefield whether you want to be or not. This in the United States is supposed to be a voluntary army. Our military is all voluntary But I got to be honest with you, our leaders have now thrust you and I, whether we want to be in it or not, we're in a war, a war between good and evil. Now, you might say, it's always been that way, Dan. I mean, it's always us against them, good against evil. Yeah, but this time, it's got a face. It's got a name. It's Islamist terrorism. Wow. What a way to start the show, right? Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live, production of Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. And we really appreciate you being here today. I know many of you are tuning in every morning to find out what the latest is about the big issues of the day. Who can honestly say our plate is not full of big issues? And it's not just one, it's not just two, it's not just three. I think if we really objectively begin counting, we'd find at least a dozen big issues that are very critical to the heart of this nation. And so we can't take care of it all. We can't identify everything and come up with answers and solutions in just two hours. We can't do that. So we're not going to try. What we're going to do is peel back the layers that have purposely been put there to keep us from seeing some things some things that American citizens need to see and need to understand, some truths that have purposely been hidden. By whom? By a bunch of different folks. And uh, they do it because it is all about politics. And politics in the nation today, and many other places around the world for that matter, is about one thing and one thing only. Elected group of power junkies that seize power at every opportunity and want even more, consumed with a lust for power over the people. Now that sounds a lot like those guys that took over Afghanistan the last couple of days, doesn't it? Unfettered power over everybody. But you know what? We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be concerned about the Taliban now controlling the nation of Afghanistan. After all, They're nice guys. You saw what they did when they went in there. Even some missionaries that I know personally, missionaries from the United States that were in Kabul, Afghanistan, they had no idea how they were going to get out. Night before last, a knock on the door. They were afraid to answer the door, but it was a loud knock. They went to the door. It was the Taliban there. And they asked, the Taliban asked this couple of missionaries who they were. They identified themselves, and here's what the Taliban told them. Look, you you just stay here. Stay here in your apartment until the military come and tell you 
it's safe to come downstairs and get on the bus to take you to the airport in Kabul. So they didn't know what to believe. They didn't know what to think. But sure enough, that's exactly what happened. There are little stories like that that have been purposely leaked to the international media. And so all around the world, everybody's saying now, maybe it's not such a bad deal that the Taliban now are controlling Afghanistan. We could never trust the Afghani people. I mean, look, the soldiers just laid down their arms and let the Taliban take over the entire country in about a 90-day period. Don't think for a second that is who the Taliban are. How do I know that? Guess what happened yesterday? In one particular street corner in the middle of the day, a woman, an Afghani woman, was walking down the street and her burqa was not pulled up where it is supposed to be under Sharia law. A group of Taliban soldiers went over, knocked her to the ground, and beheaded her on the street in the middle of the day in front of thousands of Afghanis who were wondering, are the bad guys really going to be the bad guys that we've always thought and we've seen the Taliban be? Let me tell you what I got information-wise overnight from over there. Somebody who is there in the middle of it. Somebody that's politically connected. This is what is being done in the system in which it's being done right now. This is not some group of rebels, some group of vagabonds that have no coordination, no leadership, no plan. They have joined formally forces with Russia and China. That's right, folks. The Taliban are working in conjunction with China and Russia. And China and Russia have instructed the Taliban to get any credibility and to get any kind of um, integrity, place of integrity or inclusion on the world stage. They've got to go light for a while. That's the term that I was told was being used. Go light for a while. And many think that means they're going to let the Americans that are over there right now stuck and can't get out, going to let them get out. And then, folks, all hell is going to break loose. There will be blood flowing in the streets of all of the provincial cities around the nation of Afghanistan and Kabul the capital city, will be front and center on the news. Do you remember back when ISIS first got started, how every couple of days videos were being posted online of the Islamist terrorist ISIS beheading people live? We're going to see more and more and more of that. The fear-mongering is going to come back. How do we know that? That's what the Taliban is all about. Now they tell us, they tell us the women are going to be safe in this new country. They're calling this country the Islamist Emirates. That's what Afghanistan's name is being changed to. The Islamic Emirates. Sounds pretty uh, sophisticated, doesn't it? When it's a little more than a bunch of ragtag thugs that are in it. And I mean, they are just in it for power over other people. Sharia law. This is what the Taliban are saying. They're going to require every person 
in this nation to abide by? Sharia law. What is Sharia law? You hear about it all the time. What is it? It's not the Quran itself, their Bible, but it is kind of like um, an edict that comes from the Quran, which basically is a structure and it gives the instructions to every Muslim person how to live their lives. I mean, literally from top to bottom. Do you know what Sharia law, what it is and what it includes? Would you like to get a little bit of it? Folks, back in 2017 at truthnewsnet.org, we posted the key tenets of Sharia law. And this is directly from Muslim documents. Let me give you some of them. Adultery. Adultery is defined in Sharia law as unlawful intercourse, and it's a capital crime under Sharia, punishable by lashing and stoning to death. Apostasy. Apostasy is the established ruling of Sharia is that apostates are to be killed wherever they may be found. Those are Muslims that aren't adhering to Sharia law. They're termed to be apostates. Democracy and Islam. Any system of man-made law is considered illicit under Islamic law. For those who are adherents, Allah already has provided the only law permitted Sharia. Islam and democracy can never coexist in harmony. And that's for all you folks that look at the Muslim adherents here in the United States. Some have just fit right in and they're fine with what America offers. They're fine with living under our constitution and our rule of laws, but there are a big, big bunch of people that want Sharia law. Polls have been taken in in Muslim communities around the United States. There are a lot of people that want Sharia law here. That means, remember, Allah already has provided the only law permitted, which is Sharia. Part of Sharia law includes female genital mutilation, gender inequality. Sharia explicitly relegates women to a status inferior to men. In a dispute, testimony of a woman before a judge is worth only half that of a man. Women are to receive just one half the inheritance that a man would receive. Muslim men are given permission by Allah and the Quran to beat their wives. Muslim men are given permission by Allah to commit marital rape as they please. Muslim men are permitted to marry up to four wives and to keep concubines in any number. Muslim women may marry only one Muslim man and are forbidden from marrying a non-Muslim. A woman can't travel outside the home without the permission of her male guardian and must be accompanied by a male family member if she does go out. Under Sharia, to bring a claim of rape, a Muslim woman must present four male Muslim witnesses in good standing. Islam thus places the burden of avoiding illicit sexual encounters entirely on the woman. In effect, under Sharia, women who bring a claim of rape without being able to produce the requisite four male Muslim witnesses, they are admitting just making the claim they were raped and don't have the four guys that'll step up and uh, 
confirm what she said? She's admitting to having had illicit sex. So if she or the man is married, this amounts to an admission of adultery, which results in her death. Rape is a felony under U.S. law, but under Sharia, it's not. It's akin to damaging something, the woman's virginity. So the penalty is the usual cost of what was damaged, typically $400. There would be no jail time for rape unless the man didn't pay for the damages. A Muslim woman who divorces and remarries loses custody of children from the prior marriage. Honor killing. A Muslim parent faces no legal penalty under Islamic law for killing his child or grandchild. Hadood punishments, the plural of had, is a fixed penalty prescribed as a right of Allah because Hadood penalties belong to Allah. Islamic law does not permit them to be waived or commuted. Sharia stipulates these punishments and methods of execution such as amputation, crucifixion, flogging, and stoning for offenses such as adultery, homosexuality, killing without right, theft, and spreading mischief in the land because these punishments were mandated by the Quran or Sunnah. Islamic supremacism, belief that Islam is superior to every other culture, faith, government, and society, and that it is ordained by Allah to conquer and dominate them. Jew hatred. Anti-Semitism is intrinsic to Sharia and is based on the genocidal behavior of Muhammad himself in wiping out the entire Jewish population of the Arabian Peninsula. Jihad. Jihad is warfare specifically to spread Islam. Lying. It's permissible for a Muslim to lie, especially to non-Muslims, to safeguard himself personally or to protect Islam. Slander or blasphemy. In Sharia, slander means anything that might offend a Muslim. Underage marriage. Islamic doctrine permits the marriage of prepubescent children, girls. There's no minimum age for a marriage contract, and consummation may take place when the girl is age eight. Zakat, the obligation for Muslims to pay zakat, arises out of Quran verse 9:60 and is one of the five pillars of Islam. Zakat may be given only to Muslims, never to non Muslims. What amounts to a mandatory tax is required to be given those engaged in jihad, which is among the authorized recipients. According to Sharia, there are eight categories of recipients for zakat. The poor, those short of money, zakat workers are those whose job it is to collect the zakat, those whose hearts are to be reconciled, those purchasing their freedom, those in debt, those fighting for Allah in a jihad, and travelers needing money. It is not permissible to give zakat to a non-Muslim. Here's a very small sample of Sharia law teachings dictating how Muslim deal, the men deal with their spouses. Good women are obedient. As for those from whom you fear disobedience, admonish them and send them to beds apart and beat them. 
That's from the Quran. Circumcision is obligatory. The reliance of the traveler, a respected manual of Shafai's jurisprudence, states circumcision is obligatory for every male and female by cutting off the piece of skin of the glands of the penis of the male, but circumcision of the female is by cutting out the clitoris. If a husband calls his wife to his bed to have sex and she refuses and causes him to sleep in anger, the angels will curse her until morning. By him in whose hand lies my life, a woman cannot carry out the right of her Lord till she carries out the right of her husband. And if he asks her to surrender herself to him for sexual intercourse, she should not refuse him even if she is on a camel's saddle. That's just a little synopsis straight from the Koran of some of the most um, egregious tenets of Sharia law, which, folks, there is no question, this is what is in store for the entire nation of Afghanistan, or excuse me, the Islamist Emirates. So our leaving, and we're going to get into the way we left, and we're still leaving, and all of the ancillary things that accompany that, the way it was done, what was left out, what shouldn't have been done, what should have been, all those things rolled in. We've just begun to see the very beginning of it. We have a long way to go. There are so many moving parts, so many people that are caught up in this. It's just insane. I and, and folks, it's not just conservatives in America. It's Americans. I mean, people at MSNBC and CNN and and uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times, everybody is looking at what this president did and allowed to happen. And everybody's shaking their heads saying, we can't believe this is happening, that any U.S. president would allow this, in fact, encourage it. Even his speech that he gave, Biden's speech the other night, defending the bungled Afghan exit, his speech exposed inconsistency and a bunch of inaccuracy. So he didn't want to give the speech, but he was basically forced to. He gave a speech on why drawing down U.S. troops after two decades in war was in the American uh, interest, and he missed the point when he tried to do that, folks. Listen to this. Americans are not troubled, on the most part, by the withdrawal policy. Nobody wants to stay in a war for 20 years. In fact, a majority of Americans support the withdrawal. But that same majority are upset by the execution of the exit. And that not only occurred on his watch, we're finding out every day, he was more and more and more involved in the way it occurred. Americans didn't want to see Afghan allies executed as city after city were overrun. They didn't want to see desperate Afghan civilians clinging to that C-17 military jet. Some fell to their death as planes took off. 
Americans didn't expect the capital to fall in just six days, Kabul. And they didn't expect to hear a top U.S. general warn terror attacks may once again launch from Afghanistan, threatening America. You remember in the opening I told you we found out this consensus that's been put together between Russia, China, and this new country, Afghanistan, but with a new name. What this is all about, listen closely. If you don't get anything else out of this show today, here's what you need to know factually has been orchestrated and is now underway. The Taliban have already reached agreements with ISIS and with Al-Qaeda. And the territory of Afghanistan is already preparing to become a launching point where all of the infrastructure and the planning that's necessary to, in their words, commit 9-11-type terrorist attacks throughout the Western world, all across the Western world, not just the United States, they will begin to happen very soon. Wow. In that speech, Biden made one concession that most Americans would agree with. And it's this. His administration was caught off guard that Afghanistan fell to the Taliban, even before the U.S. could get its own diplomats, Afghan loyalists, and our troops out safely. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated, he said while he was still insisting that he sticks by his withdrawal decision. The rest of that speech, however, failed because it didn't address the bungled exit with any specificity and served as a reminder that, as the Washington Post declared in a front-page article last year, Biden has been maddingly inconsistent on Afghanistan. He opposed in 2009 the military surge that military leaders proposed and Obama, his boss, Biden's boss, authorized. One now widely credited with quieting the insurgency that killed a whole bunch of soldiers with IEDs and blue-on-green attacks from 07 to 2010. Biden, don't forget, he opposed the raid that killed Osama bin Laden, a mission that was cheered by almost every American. He overruled his own commanders this summer when he abruptly shut down the airbase in Bagram when military leaders were arguing to keep a small contingent of our troops in country beyond September. Think about this. That air military base is gone, folks. The Taliban have taken it over. That was our only military presence within the proximity of any place in Asia. And listen to this. It's 200 miles, Bagram Air Force Base, from China. It has billions of dollars of military infrastructure that by doing what he did, Biden just tossed the keys over to the Taliban. They've taken control of all of it. For most of his speech, Biden sounded the same endless war principles that his predecessor advocated. 
In doing that, he revised his own personal history, most importantly when it came to using the military for nation-building. Here's what he said, quote, Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation-building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Well, that statement ignored one reality. Biden, as a U.S. senator, all those years he was in the U.S. Senate, he co-sponsored the very first multi-billion nation-building legislation for Afghanistan back in 2002, insisting then building a stable country and government was essential. Perhaps the most important question, however, is one of commitment. Now, this is him when he sponsored that law back in 2002. Will we stay the course and build security in Afghanistan, or will we permit this country to relapse into chaos? He compared nation-building in Afghanistan as important as the U.S. effort known as the Marshall Plan, which was put in place and very effectively rebuilt Europe after World War II. Here's what he said. After World War II, America used its soldiers as peacekeepers and its dollars as peace builders. This may have been the wisest investment of the past century. We turned our most bitter foes into our staunch allies. But if we're going to talk about a new Marshall Plan, we should be willing to back up our words with deeds. The original Marshall Plan cost $90 billion in today's dollars. Our total pledge for Afghan reconstruction is less than 1% of that, and we've only delivered a fraction of this pledge. A year later, after Biden said that, he doubled down on nation-building as essential to preventing chaos in Afghanistan, even as some of the Bush administration folks and other conservatives questioned that as a mission. Just two months ago, the president signed the Afghanistan Freedom Support Act of 2002, and Senator Hagel and Senator Luger and I co-sponsored that Biden crowed at a February 03 Senate hearing. He thinks nobody can go back and get these, these sound bites, these videos, and copies of his speeches. He continued, he said this, It was pushed forward by this committee, that plan, and we finally got it passed. But the act authorizes $3.3 billion for reconstruction and security of Afghanistan over and above the funds the president might see fit to allocate from other sources. Biden was then the ranking member on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He directly endorsed nation-building during that hearing, recounting what local Afghans told him was necessary for success during a trip that he took to the war-torn country. In some parts of this administration, he said, nation-building is a dirty word. But the alternative to nation-building is chaos, a chaos that churns out bloodthirsty warlords, drug traffickers, and terrorists. We've seen it happen in Afghanistan before. We're watching it happen in Afghanistan today. But let's fast forward to Monday of this week. Biden also hailed the killing of bin Laden without noting that he was dead set against it, the entire mission under Obama. He suggested he had no choice but to follow the withdrawal plans that were started by Trump. 
even though he has reversed nearly every other approach Trump left behind, from the border to the budget. And by the way, Trump's plan, it was negotiated between the United States, the nation of Afghanistan, and the Taliban. And the withdrawal was to be staged over a period of time, and there were points within the withdrawal process to which all parties to that agreement could look. And if the Taliban ever did anything they said they wouldn't do or didn't do things that they promised to do at any point in that, the deal would be canceled. And in Trump's own words back then, he said, quote, we will crush the Taliban. In that plan, listen to this. In that plan that Biden acknowledged in that Monday speech, I inherited a, a, a plan, an agreement between the Taliban and the Trump administration, and we abide by our national commitments. We are going to abide by our commitment on this issue. And he did not. Listen to this. In the plan, guess who was to be taken out of Afghanistan, first, second, and third. First, all Americans. (laughs) Before any of the military even thought about leaving, all American citizens, and that meant non-governmental organization employees, contractors, people that were over there just living, they were going to be taken out first. Second, our diplomats our embassy. And speaking of that embassy, do you know that that embassy in Kabul, uh, Afghanistan, it's the most expensive embassy of any U.S. embassy on earth. More than a billion dollars. And it's right next door to the presidential palace of Afghanistan. And Gus is in our embassy now the Taliban. Biden also declared he was moving quickly to execute the plans we had put in place to respond to every contingency, including the rapid collapse we're seeing now, without noting that he overruled his military leadership on keeping that small military present in Afghanistan this fall. He failed to note the U.S. departure of the Bagram Air Base was done so awkwardly Afghan commanders felt they were blindsided. So aside from truth and consistency, the long-term consequences of Biden's approach in the chaotic fall of Afghanistan may be far more severe. One top general warned over the weekend Afghanistan could quickly become a terrorist haven capable of striking America again. And on Monday... Competitors, U.S. competitors like, uh, you know, China and Russia used the Afghan debacle to sow doubt about America's commitment to allies like Taiwan. If you're a leader of any foreign nation today and you have in the past, maybe you're right now and thinking ahead, maybe you'll do it in the future, rely on commitments of the United States government in any way, in any function whatsoever. You don't think those leaders are rethinking their whole concept in that regard right now? 
They can't trust this nation based upon the way our leadership has acted and what they've done. How could they do that? That would be stupidity. People in their countries would say, no, hey, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't trust the Americans. They don't honor their word. They don't honor what they say. Their president, he went back on pretty much everything he had said over 30 years about what his position is on supporting and working side-by-side with Afghans. So it's not, let me, get, let me make this very clear, it is not Republicans and conservatives that are questioning what Joe Biden did, questioning what Joe Biden's doing, and by the way, questioning his capacity to serve as president. There are people in Congress today that have begun to approach the conversation of whether or not this guy should remain in the White House. Meanwhile, you know, Joe was on vacation all through the weekend. Jen Psaki was on vacation for a week, and they knew what was about to happen. Do you think they uh, purposely made their plans to be out of town when this whole thing rolled out on the national, international stage? I don't know if they thought it, but I can tell you what, they changed their tune real quickly, and they beat it back to Washington, D.C. So yesterday, Jen Psaki's back at her circle back stuff, handling this uh, press briefing. And in this press briefing, do you remember David Axelrod? David Axelrod was a very arrogant, is a very arrogant, hardcore Democrat. He first came to national prominence as part of the uh, Clinton campaign, not the campaign, the administration. I think the second term is when he began to get uh, pretty powerful in the Democrat Party. Uh... Of course, Bush came in for eight years, Bush 43, and then Obama. And while Axelrod was used and was kind of out in the forefront a little bit in the early Obama administration days, they kind of put him to the side. But he has a, um, a, I think it's a podcast. It may be a radio show, national, whatever. It, I got to be honest with you, there's never been a hard left national radio show, talk show that has ever made it. They all fail miserably. But he's been around and he does what he does. He speaks about everything anti-conservative and he goes off the deep end in a lot of ways. Well, yesterday in the White House press briefing, Saki's up there doing her normal thing, covering for the president, explaining why they didn't do anything wrong and why everything's okay and one reporter questioned her about something that former close friend of Joe Biden, former close friend of Barack Obama, they may still be friends, David Axelrod, what he had to say about what and how Biden handled this pullout from Afghanistan. Um, sort of follow up on Caitlin's uh, questions about uh, criticism from people who uh, are your allies or your friends. Uh, David Axelrod has called you uh, the best press secretary in his lifetime, I think. Uh, My mom would like that. Okay. Um, but he's also said that the events of the last weekend are, in, I mean, this is paraphrasing here, but indefensible, I think. He said you can't defend them. And he has basically said that you guys should 
acknowledge that it was a failure and and be willing to say that the events of the last several days were a failure, um, even as you maybe you know defend the the broader question of the drawdown in Afghanistan. Why aren't, what do you say to David Axelrod, um, who is such a fan of yours? Uh, um, there are a few people I respect as much as David Axelrod in the world of politics. Uh, he's brilliant. He's also a great human being. But he would be the first to say uh, that there is a difference between being on the outside uh, and speaking on television and being on the inside and the difficult choices that you have to make. Um, and uh, as I've noted and as Jake noted, um, even as we're watching uh, over the last couple of days, um, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching uh, footage, photos, you referred to some of them, Mike, um, the president stands by his decision because he knows it's the, in the interest of the United States, our national security, and the American people. And he's going not going to ask mothers and fathers to send their children to fight a war the Afghans won't fight for themselves. Uh, and that does not mean uh, that there aren't chaotic moments. There are. There does not mean there aren't moments that we may look back and, uh, you know, take a look at approaches and, and how to address things moving forward. Of course, that's a part of how you assess governing and how you assess operations moving forward. But right now, uh, and he would be the first, he, he spent, as you all know, uh, an important role, a vital role, uh, advising uh, President Obama to acknowledge that when you're in government, uh, you're faced with difficult choices. The president is faced with difficult choices. So are members of his team. And what you have to always make the decisions based on is what's in the interest of the American people. Go ahead. So, there's Jen Psaki just doubling down and tripling down on stupid. And boy, she's got a good dose of that going on. It's like there's no touch to reality in her response there. Just totally ignoring the context and the meaning of the question that was asked. Here's a guy that she admitted, he's a great guy. He's a great politician. Um, as a matter of fact, i got to be honest with you, as much as I despise his policies... He's got a a penchant for making really good um, arguments in the face of being confronted with things that aren't quite comfortable for him to hear. And in politics, especially when you're a far-left politician, you know that happens pretty regularly. And so she just, in the first three sentences, she basically said, he's a really good guy. I like him a lot, and I like what he has to say, but he doesn't speak the truth. He doesn't speak Joe Biden language, and he's wrong. And, of course, then she just immediately segues back into what she's paid to do, which is cover for this president. So let me ask you this. What kind of messaging is going on? What are you hearing and seeing from this administration to those, uh, they say, 15,000 Americans that are still hung up in Afghanistan and multiple times through last night, early this morning, I've seen interviews with people over there. They're not getting any assistance. Nobody's talking to them from the U.S. government. When they call their members of Congress and some that are in the U.S. Senate, when they call back to the U.S., they're seeking help. They're not getting any help from the U.S. government. When they reach out and get a hold of somebody in the U.S. government, They all are being referred to a website and they're being told, don't call us back. Follow the instructions on the website, which is, listen to this, blanket instruction, shelter in place, shelter in place. 
So let me tell you what the government did do. Our government sent a notice to Americans trying to get out of Afghanistan after that takeover by the Taliban, telling those Americans to make their way to the airport in Kabul. But the same message the government sent said this, we cannot guarantee their security on the way to Kabul airport. Now, why is that a big deal? All you do is you get in a cab, you know, hey, I need to go to the Kabul International Airport. Oh, okay, we'll take you there right now. They drive you up to the ramp and you get out and go get on a plane. Sounds like simple flying around the world, right? Well, guess what the Taliban did immediately when they took over Kabul? They put a ring of fighters a circle of fighters. They sealed off the airport. Now, why would they do that? To be able to control who gets in and who doesn't get in. And if I'm an American in Kabul and the Taliban who have a a history of slaughtering Americans um, and other people, (laughs) even their own people, um, I don't know if I've got a family, say, and I'm living with my wife and kids in Afghanistan. I'm working, you know, as an NGO employee, or maybe I'm a missionary, or maybe I'm a journalist, or maybe I'm uh, the spouse of a U.S. diplomat. I'm going to think twice, maybe three or four times before I get that cab and head on out to the airport. Yesterday, don't forget I told you, in Kabul, on the street, middle of the day, one Muslim woman was walking down the street with her burqa not handled right. Her hair was showing. A bunch of Afghan militants grabbed her, threw her to the ground, and beheaded her. A congressional aide told CBS News there were no partners left in Afghanistan to safely get the 10 to 15,000 Americans trapped around the country to the capital of Kabul, yet alone those that are already there in the Kabul. Instead, a note went out to Americans requesting to be evacuated that said this, to American citizens, thank you for registering your request to be evacuated from Afghanistan. The U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan has confirmed that an undefined number of U.S. government-provided flights will begin soon. Please make your way to Hamid Karzai International Airport at this time. And it's said in bold and capitalized letters, listen, please be advised that the United States government cannot guarantee your security as you make this trip. Warm and fuzzy. That's the feeling I get. That's the Biden administration. Well, according to Jen Psaki, there are more than 11,000 American citizens trapped in the country. However, this number was based on self-identifying Americans only. That figure came after Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby gave a five to 10,000 figure of estimated Americans left there, or at least those near Kabul. Kirby also said the Pentagon is not equipped to know the whereabouts of every single American throughout the country. 
former George W. Bush administration official Robert Trawls said there could be as many as 40,000 Americans stuck in the country. The Pentagon said in the last 24 hours that 165 Americans were flown out. Wow. Big, big, big segment of those 40,000. 165. Flights consisting of a total of 700 to 800 passengers. Let me tell you, unless God intervenes miraculous, unless something, unless the Red Sea parts, and that's a figurative thing, there's going to be bloodshed, and it's going to be American bloodshed, and it will be visible on international networks, Al Jazeera, who has the uh, exclusive rights to access to the Taliban. Did you know that? They cut a deal with Al Jazeera. Everything that happens to Americans, and anybody else for that matter, out of Afghanistan, it's going to be seen by everybody around the world. And this president and his administration, they don't even know how many Americans are in the country. This State Department, Secretary Blinken, who walks around in a fog, I have zero respect for him. I don't know how he had something dirty on Joe Biden to become the Secretary of State. Nevertheless, folks, they are what they do. We all are. And what this administration is doing now is nothing short of killing people. And that means killing Americans. Now, let me tell you, you're about to hear in just a moment, you're going to hear from somebody you probably haven't heard much from on a national level in the last, oh, six or seven months. Former President Donald Trump, this morning early, with Maria Bartiromo on Fox News. I think you'll probably believe this when I tell you he's got a few things to say about what's going on over there and what shouldn't be going on over there and why it shouldn't. President Trump after this. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, Your place needs furniture, and at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 six-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT? Turkey breast $3.99. How much? $3.99. $3.99. Bingo! Time of participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. Uh oh. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Julie. Hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie. Guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 
Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. Folks, before we go to President Trump, I just got a text a moment ago from Bruce Ewing. Bruce Ewing is a former longtime, he's retired now, Air Force chaplain. Um, Served active in the military. Is a great, great man. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, he's a prayer warrior. And what I'm about to tell you is some pretty bleak news. But if you're a praying person, we need to go to prayer. It says, please pray for 229 Christian missionaries who have been sentenced to die tomorrow afternoon at the hands of the Afghan Islamists. 229. The letter was originated by Judith Carmona. She's a missionary in Africa. The whole planet is being impacted by this already. The radical Islamic group has taken Krawargash, the largest Christian city in Iraq. There are hundreds of Christian men, women, and children are being beheaded as we speak today in Iraq. 229 Christians sentenced to die tomorrow in Afghanistan. Missionaries. There's going to be a lot of blood flowing, folks. And as I said when we started the show, we are just now seeing the beginning of it. So let's go to President Trump. Obviously, his administration is is who negotiated um, that withdrawal that was supposed to be a real withdrawal done in an orderly fashion and it had specific segments in the negotiated agreement that made sure the Taliban towed the line or they would pay for whatever they didn't do or did do wrong based upon that agreement. That, of course, was torn up by Joe Biden and they made absolutely no preparations for anything that we expected might happen, Trump expected might happen, Biden made no preparations. This morning, Fox News business host Maria Bartiroma had Donald Trump on the phone. Here's Maria and President Trump. It's a mess. It's a mess like nobody's ever seen before. This is the most embarrassing moment in our country, in our country's history. Uh, It's a military defeat. It's a psychological defeat. Russia, China, uh, Kim Jong-un, North Korea, everybody, they're all watching this disaster and they're laughing at us and they're having a good time. Uh, Europe is laughing. Europe has been very tough to deal with. Europe is as bad as China in many ways in terms of trade, certainly in terms of ripping us off in the military. And Europe is watching this and and they are laughing. They're all laughing. It's uh, not funny for us, but it's funny for them. Too bad. 
Well, it, so yeah, badly it, it certainly is a, a very serious situation for those people left behind, Mr. President. How it, well, Maria, is it you don't take the military that we have tens of like thousands of people there? The ship. Maria, you don't take yep. the military oh, at first. You take the military at last. This is like the captain jumping mm -hmm. off the ship as the ship is sinking. And, and it's crazy. And he just says, I'm getting out of here. Just forget the passengers. You take the people up first. And always the Americans first, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but always the Americans first. And then we'll take some people that helped us. But, you know, we can't take hundreds of thousands of people, and then they have their families and this, that. And, you know, these were highly paid people. They were there. They knew what they were doing. But whoever heard of this where you're in a war and then you take everybody with you? This It's crazy what they're doing and what they're suggesting. But you got to get your people out. And you got to get them out first. Then you take your equipment out. And after you take your equipment out, you bomb the hell out of the forts so nobody else can use them. Because I was going to do that. I said, I want every one of these forts that will take a plane two hours. And you bomb the hell out of them. Now they're being used by the Taliban. It's not even believable. But we took the you soldiers know, the out first. Now we're trying to put soldiers back in. And, Maria, these are very good fighters. These are great fighters. Look. They made the Soviet Union Russia. You know that. They made the Soviet Union Russia, meaning smaller. And we can't have this. So we have to take you. It's too late now. But you have to take the soldiers out first and then out, out first into the field. You have to take them back so that everybody's protected. The, the people have to come out of the country first. Then you got to get all your equipment. We have billions of dollars of equipment. They have brand new Black Hawk helicopters. They have everything. And last to come out has to be the soldiers. And I frankly would have bombed every one of the forts. The soldiers are almost out, the ones that were there before. Now there are, we are told, up to 6,000 soldiers that are there now. And of course, where are they? What are they doing? They're at the airport. They're, they're not out anywhere around Afghanistan, certainly not out in the neighborhoods around Kabul. Kabul is controlled totally, as is the entire nation now, by the Taliban. I just can't imagine a scenario that could be any worse than this for what is going on. It's almost like, and I, I don't want to get into the conspiracy side of this, but it's almost like it was planned. I can't imagine how that could possibly be true. But folks, it's not, it's chaos, no, no doubt about it. It's critical, no doubt about it. But it almost seems like it's organized chaos. It's, it's almost like somebody sat down and said, well, this plan that the Trump administration negotiated with the Taliban and Af Afghan leaders, um, it basically said, the citizens are taken out first in this transition. Secondly, the diplomatic corps are taken out. And third, and the last to leave, will be the military, the American military. And it's like somebody said, no, let's just do it backwards. Yeah, why don't we make it more contested, more egregious, more stupid? Let's just take the military out first. Yeah, we'll do that, and then we'll take our diplomats out second, and those Americans that are living over there, uh, we'll wait. Do you know that right now, 
the United States, listen to this. Our government has no plans, not a single plan, to evacuate Americans who were located outside of Kabul. Officials from multiple departments that include State and the Defense Department informed Senate staffers last night in a briefing they do not know of a way to get those Americans through the Taliban checkpoints located outside of Kabul, which is the location of the main airport. Neither the State Department nor the Defense Department has made a comment about this at all. Can you believe this? Meanwhile, Senator Tom Cotton's office set up a hotline for Americans. Now, this is not the State Department. This is not the Department of Defense. This is one U.S. Senator from Arkansas. His office set up a hotline for Americans, including those who are essentially trapped behind Taliban lines. The situation is dire, one Arkansas paper reported, but we'll do everything in our power to help keep you informed and help you get out. One former State Department contractor said that Taliban fighters have also established checkpoints throughout Kabul, inside the city, and totally around the airport. Some have been beating people on the way to the airport. I'm not laughing because it's funny, folks. It, I just can't believe this is America. This is the United States of America. And our government, a government that is in power today, is allowing it to happen. It's, it's just untenable. I just can't believe it. So even as the Taliban, and they've been on the news, Al Jazeera, I mean, they interview them, they've had them all over the news, and they're getting all kind of camera time, and you can imagine all of the networks around the world are loving every minute of it and letting them say anything and present anything that they want. Well, in doing this, they pledged to respect women's rights, and it was a very heavily professionally coordinated propaganda blitz that they did all day yesterday. Fighters from the group shot and killed a woman yesterday in Tukar province after she went out in public, wasn't wearing a burqa. And in Kabul, Taliban vehicles packed with armed militants were recorded on video patrolling residential areas. And they were looking for, asking for, activists and government workers. Gunshots can be heard as they zoom up and down the streets in Kabul. A longtime Taliban spokesman held his first news conference yesterday, and he held it to state that the extremist group would honor women's rights. But listen to this caveat. Within Sharia law, which we gave you the tenets of when we began this show. And incidentally, if you missed that, it'll be up on our site after we get off the air today, truthnewsnet.org straight from Sharia law interpreted into English. This spokesman also claimed that amnesty would be offered to Afghans who had worked for the country's defunct U.S.-backed government. I'm sure if I'm an Afghani who did that, I'm just going to run up to the front of the line and say, ooh, 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 you promised me I work for him, but I'm, I'm, a, loyal, I'm, a, I'm a loyal Muslim. Bam. 
Before the post-9-11 U.S. invasion toppled the Taliban back in 2001, the group severely curtailed women's freedoms, confining them to home, can't go out without a male chaperone enforcing strict dress codes. This week, they're encouraging women to return to work, girls to go back to school where headscarves are being handed out. And that's according to the Associated Press. But a damning photo shows a woman in District Talakan, Takar Province, lying in a pool of blood. As her parents and others crouch around her, a picture on the ground nearby, she was shot and killed for going out without a burqa. This is just the, the tip of the iceberg, folks. The tip of the iceberg. Do you know who Joe Concha is? I have a lot of respect for him. He's, he's a regular old guy. He's a reporter. He's a frequent Trop News contributor, Fox News contributor. And he works for um, one of the big newspaper, maybe it's a magazine outlet. But anyway, he's well thought of and he's very, very good at what he says, expressing what he says. And he wrote this and published it last night, which I thought was, it was very salient. I wanted to share it with you. Here's what he said. It's the five-alarm dumpster fire that is Team Biden's response to the chaos in Kabul. You've all seen the images by now. The Taliban took over the Afghan capital of Kabul in about the time it takes to deliver a pizza in the U.S., and they certainly caught the Biden administration off guard. But when the going gets tough, the tough hides on vacation. (laughs) The president made no public speaking comments for six days as the Taliban toppled city after city. Finally, he traveled from vacation on Camp David to Washington, D.C., did a 20-minute statement, and then ran from reporters taking no questions, jumped back on Marine One, and went back to Camp David. Also missing, Vice President Kamala Harris. Also missing, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who didn't take questions until more than 48 hours after Kabul fell on Sunday. If that looks cowardly to you, it's because it is. Saki did take questions yesterday afternoon, but that was seven days after the crisis began. In his speech, Biden blamed everyone from Donald Trump to the Afghan government to the Afghan military, all while saying, the buck stops with me. Funny. Because just last month, here's what Biden had to say about that awesome fighting force, the Afghan military. Quote, they clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. In a separate CNN town hall, Biden said he would take responsibility for what I do and what I say. And while Biden and Harris and Saki all avoided taking questions for a week, Who's out there talking to the media? (laughs) I love this. The Taliban spokesman, he's all over Al Jazeera. (laughs) From an optics perspective, things couldn't be going worse for Team Biden. And given the stakes here that Al-Qaeda 2.0 or ISIS could reemerge and attack the U.S. homeland in an even worse fashion than 9-11, this impression of a frightened White House isn't going away anytime soon. If you just joined the show, 
I wanted to bring to you what I was told early, early in the wee hours of this morning by a contact from that part of the world that said this process the Taliban has been doing was strictly coordinated by the governments of Russia and China in conjunction with the leadership of the Taliban. ISIS and Al-Qaeda have already been planning and coordinating with the Taliban and with Russia and with China to reinsert terrorist training operations in this new country that Afghanistan is now being called the Islamic Emirates. And the terrorist operations will be for one purpose and one purpose only to plan, to put together all the resources necessary, and to spread 9-11 type attacks all across the Western world. China and Russia involved in this with the Taliban. Any surprises there? And Joe Biden, Joe Biden's president, folks. That scares me more than anything else in this. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Missing persons. Missing persons. Missing persons. My wife is missing. Your wife is missing. My wife is missing. When did you last see her? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Where's your TV, sir? The bedroom. Have you looked in the bedroom, sir? Uh, no. She's probably watching Madlock. Madlock is on at four o'clock? Every weekday at four on channel two. Go check your bedroom, sir. I'll wait. Okay. I'm here. She's watching Matlock. I thought so. I didn't know Matlock was on at 4 o'clock. Every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. She really likes Andy Griffith. Of course she does. She must be so engrossed by Matlock she forgot to tell me where she was. Tell her I understand. Okay, I'll be right back. No, I didn't mean no. Sir? Matlock, every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. Hey, my favorite episode. Because there's nothing like a good mystery. I'm hanging up now, sir. Hello? Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. forgot to remind you, if you'd like to weigh in, call us, ask questions, make suggestions, tell us things. Feel free to do so. We'll pay for the call toll-free. 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. 
Something interesting was revealed overnight. This will blow your mind, maybe. The Department of Defense Office of Inspector General released a quarterly Operation Freedom Sentinel report to Congress yesterday. It provides background about events that are leading up to recent significant and fast-moving developments in Afghanistan, you think? (laughs) It's 98 pages long. It reveals what the Pentagon knew about Afghan security forces' capabilities and also the threats posed by the Taliban and other terrorist groups in the country. Listen to what it shows, folks. The Biden administration knew that the events of the last few weeks were not only possible, what were likely to occur. The report is peppered with Department of Intelligence Agency and media reporting that shows the Afghan forces couldn't ward off Taliban aggression without U.S. and coalition support. Yet the Biden administration responded with surprise as the Taliban took one provincial capital after another and last weekend arrived in Kabul. As this IG report outlines, the Biden administration knew that the Afghan forces were unlikely to succeed in slowing or stopping the Taliban's advance, it knew, the Biden administration knew the Taliban had its sights set on Kabul, and it knew that the Taliban was only engaged in political negotiations to seek legitimacy. But they planned to step up its military offensive to take the country by force. It also warned that plans for Kabul's Hamid Karzai International Airport were likely insufficient due to a complicated agreement with Turkish forces. What Biden and his administration apparently didn't take seriously, as his public statements and those of his senior administration folks from the State Department to the Pentagon show, were reports from the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency that said Afghan forces very likely will struggle to stop or reverse Taliban advances. Intelligence that the Taliban was repairing for large-scale offenses against provincial centers and complex attacks on Afghan installations were also reported. Nobody listened to them, apparently. In Pentagon press briefings, Americans were told that the Afghan military, specifically its Air Force, had every advantage, a line of messaging repeated by President Biden. But the IG report shows that they knew the Afghan Air Force was stretched thin and aircraft were not receiving required maintenance. So what we all watched at the airport in Kabul were also somewhat predictable given the lack of certainty over the security reported by the Inspector General. At the end of this quarter, the report says, the coalition that consisted of U.S. and Turkey's military had not determined whether keeping a enduring Turkish president at the airport would be possible or what that might include. That's from this IG report. Not exactly the we plan for every contingency posture that the Pentagon and State Department told the American people they'd established. And of course, President Biden He's doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on that. Oh, we planned for every contingency. Obviously not. 
I couldn't believe he actually said that in his speech. We planned for every contingency. And so did Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, said the same thing in that press briefing yesterday afternoon. Americans aren't stupid. We can see y'all didn't plan for everything. What's culminated this week in the Taliban's complete takeover of Afghanistan? It started with the Pentagon's transition to their over-the-horizon model of action. Now, this is out of the IG report, folks. This is the internal watchdogs of the Defense Department. As a result, the branch of ISIS operating in Afghanistan's Khorasan province exploited the political instability and rise in violence during the quarter by attacking minority sectarian targets and infrastructure to spread fear and highlight the Afghan government's inability to provide adequate security. Additionally, Taliban continued to maintain its relationship with al-Qaeda, providing safe haven for al-Qaeda and ISIS in Afghanistan. At the same time, Taliban fighters began their spring offensive, testing the resistance they'd faced from Afghan security forces and found out there wasn't much there. They were going to be easy to rout. This kicked off the Taliban's expansion of control through a combination of military offenses, government retreats, and mediation with local officials while pursuing its long-term strategy of gaining influence in rural districts and then to apply pressure to the population center. This blows my mind, folks. We had all of this. We had it in our hands. This IG report is not the first that the Biden administration and the Department of Defense had heard about all this. The IG report is just looking over their shoulders, looking at the past quarter, and doing analysis of what that department, the Defense Department, had in front of it, and they did nothing with it. They did nothing with it. Nothing with it. But Joe Biden, President of the United States, arguably the most powerful man on the planet, has twice now got up in front of the country and said, we took everything under consideration and we plan for every contingency except the ones that were right in our faces. I don't care what happens from here out of this. I can say this about our military. I'm not, I'm not saying one thing about the men and women that actually do the work that are out there carrying guns on the streets of places that they don't want to be, where they could be killed at any moment. They could step on a mine, an IED, or some sniper can take them out. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the ones that would rather be back at the Pentagon. Some of them are. Many of them are at the Pentagon. And instead of being military specialists, instead of working hard to honor the commitments and the oaths of office they took when they joined their various branch of the military. Instead of doing that, they have spokesmen that are out there. They have agents that represent them so they can get these cush contributing on television networks' news shows. 
They're looking at politics. Do you realize the United States has not won a war since World War II? Not one. And yet, Americans have been conditioned, and we all, we honor our military men and women from top to bottom. I think a lot of this, folks, and this IG report just shines a bright light light on this fact. I think it, if not in total, a huge portion of the responsibility of this lies at the feet of the generals and the admirals who are over these entire operations on a day-to-day basis. And if they're not getting this information, if they're not seeing and getting all of this information that the Inspector General found from just looking into every part of the operation of our military in the Defense Department, we're in deep doo-doo. We're in trouble. And it is no wonder to me that this happened and is happening still today in Afghanistan. I just can't believe it hasn't happened long before this. Now just look at what one branch of terrorist operations was able to do in the last week or two. The Taliban. They're noted for being a bunch of hodgepodge people that live in the hills. That's not necessarily the truth. But that's the way the world views them when you put them in perspective and line them up with groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, especially Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda are the real intellectuals. ISIS, more and more, much more militant. Taliban, do you realize how many different sects, S-E-C-T-S, there are of Taliban? 40 or 50 different groups. Hodgepodge, disorganized, disunity. But all of a sudden, folks, They've been pulled together with one common cause. And what is that common cause? Kill the infidel. Who are the infidels? Anybody that is not Muslim. I don't want to be a a xenophobe, folks. It's not about being a xenophobe. It's not about being racist. It's being a realist. Right now, they can't stand anybody that's not a Muslim. And the Quran teaches them, I'm telling you the truth when I say this, convert the infidel or eliminate the infidel. An infidel is anybody that does not subscribe to Islam. So what do you think is happening around the nation right now? What do you think leaders in other countries are thinking? What do you think everyday people in places like the U.K., and in Asian countries, and in African countries, and even down in Australia. What do you think they're thinking about this? Why don't we listen in to a Sky News breakdown of the Biden-Afghan pullout? This is Sky News yesterday. Obviously, Joe Biden has handled this appallingly, but I think politically back home in America, it'll be reasonably popular for him. Uh, Just the fact that he's getting the troops out of there and getting Americans out of a foreign conflict. What are your thoughts? 
I think as these headlines continue to grace the, the world's newspapers online and in print, I think that popularity, if indeed it exists, will be very short-lived, Chris. I mean, the stories that we're hearing, is it, it's utterly hair-raising. It's keeping everyone up at night. I mean, honestly, and, and to know that every single piece of intelligence this man had, Biden's own generals were saying, do not do this. This makes absolutely no sense. What we've got to understand is this wasn't just withdrawing troops that have been there for over 20 years now, because over that time, they have become a pillar of the way the Afghanis do everything, their, their day-to-day running of their country. So to withdraw like this, so suddenly we're hearing reports of these guys. They don't even know how to do maintenance on their own Apaches anymore. They're doing Zoom calls to America to say, how do I do this? So this whole rhetoric that Biden's using of, well, the Afghanis can look after themselves now and they've had time to put those measures in place, that is absolutely untrue. You cannot stay there for that long and become such a part of their protection and resistance and withdraw at the drop of a hat like this. They, We, we have left them like lambs to the slaughter and there is blood on that man's hands. Lambs to the slaughter, Justin. It's going to be horrible. It's already yeah. horrible to see what's unfolding for the people of Afghanistan. It is just, it is desperately, desperately sad what they're going through right now. And what's that old cliche, uh, you broke it, you bought it? Well, the Americans and the Australians as well, we went in there and it looks like now it's been broken. Uh, and and we, we've got skin in this game. And, and you know, the, we've lost... I think about the veterans community, our veterans community. You know, they, they lost mates over there. The, the, the post-traumatic stress disorder, the, you know, the, the disconnection that our veterans have. And they look at this war and it's a loss. We lost mm. this war. It is just... And look, Joe Biden, I mean, Biden's language on this, I, I think, is appalling. The last press conference I saw from Biden was uh, him calling it the Afghanistan Civil War. Oh, gee, well, there's a big turn up. I haven't actually heard it called the Afghanistan Civil War, you know, for the last 20 years. And all of a sudden it's a civil war and it's got nothing to do with us. I thought that was just bloody appalling. I thought it was terrible. But at least one thing about Joe Biden, at least he got uh, elected uh, into power, which is more than we can say for the Taliban that now stand up and say, look, don't worry, the women will be fine in this country uh, as long as they stick to Sharia law everything will be okay. Oh, what a mess it is. And, uh, you know, this is just this is just a new beginning. This is not the end of anything. It's a, it's a new beginning. Not my words, folks. Words from our buddies down in Australia. Folks, the entire world is watching how we're doing this and what's going on. Did you know that yesterday, yesterday in the middle of all of this, as we told you, Joe Biden, he was in Camp David all weekend. Um, he supposedly talked on the phone. He didn't talk in any other world leaders. We heard that, and it was confirmed yesterday and again on Monday over and over again. He hadn't talked to another world leader. And then after he made his appearance, he flew in on Marine One, went to the White House, gave a 20-minute speech, walked back outside, got on Marine One, and went back to Camp David. So in this press briefing yesterday, Jen Psaki, reporters were saying, when, uh, when is the president going to make another statement? Where is he? Well, they knew he was at Camp David. 
When's he coming back to Washington and what's the plan? Saki said on national television, we have no idea when the president is coming back to Washington, D.C. Can you imagine that news circulating around the world? It went around the world like wildfire. You think about it. Think about what's at stake, what's going on in Afghanistan that involves thousands of Americans whose lives are in danger specifically because of what this president did and didn't do. And he goes back to camp, summer camp. That combined with the fact the news spread that he hadn't talked to a single world leader since this began in Kabul since the Taliban took over Afghanistan. And yesterday on our show, we gave you the information, what was being said by the leaders of Germany, the leaders of France, even the leader in Iran, also from China, Russia, what they were saying about the Afghanistan falling to the Taliban. And they couldn't believe that the president of the United States wasn't directly involved. Well, When all that came out, we find out Joe jumped back on Marine One and went back to the White House. Wow. So based on the timing of all that, everybody knows he didn't go back because he's the commander-in-chief. He went back because it didn't look good for him politically abandoning D.C. in the middle of all of this. Go figure. He finally got that information. And then it also came out late last night that he did make a phone call. He talked to UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Wow. One foreign leader. And I forgot to mention Jake Sullivan. Jake Sullivan is Obama, I started to say. Joe Biden's national security advisor. He, at this press briefing yesterday, just made himself in this administration look like a bunch of nincompoops. He was making all kinds of excuses about Biden's inactions, about the lack of preparation, about the important things. And in the middle of all of this, guess what came out? The White House refused to commit any American troops in Afghanistan that any would stay until all Americans were evacuated. Now remember, put this in context. The government doesn't even know how many Americans are in Afghanistan. That is mind-boggling to me in itself. So that White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, I just told you about, he dismissed that question as a hypothetical about military staying in Afghanistan to make sure that all Americans get out. He said, I'm not going to comment on a hypothetical. He said that when CBS reporter Zhang, Weijie Zhang, asked whether the White House would commit the military staying in Kabul until every American was evacuated. I'm not going to comment on hypotheticals, Sullivan said. What I am going to do is stay focused on the task at hand, which is getting as many people out as rapidly as possible, and we will take that day by day. Now, how... If you're an American, if you're working with the government, our government, working for our government, and you're over there, or you have loved ones over there, or your family members are over there, 
And the National Security Advisor answers that question that way. Jen Psaki also said the administration would look at the issue day by day and did she did not commit to troops remaining in the country until all Americans were evacuated. She said there were about 11,000, 11,000 self-identified Americans in the country. The White House press team punted a question from Breitbart News that asked about the total numbers of Americans in the country to the State Department. When pressed by a follow-up about evacuating Americans, Jake Sullivan said this, that's what we're doing right now. We have asked them all to come to the airport to get on flights and take them home. That's what we intend to do. But I read to you from the report that was given in writing to all these Americans that said, quote, you need to find your way to get to the Kabul airport. And then in big letters it said, we cannot guarantee your security getting to the airport. In other words, if you can get here, you're on your own to do that. But if you can't get here, we'll get you out of here. Good luck. Don't call us back. Just get to the airport. And this just gets deeper and de- deeper. Every one of these things I'm telling you, just it just is a layer after another layer of incompetence on the part of the Biden administration. The White House said yesterday they are depending on the Taliban to give evacuating Americans safe passage to the airport. Well, that sounds kind of cool, don't you think? I told you about missionaries that we know, two of them, with their, with their family that were scared to death, that were in Kabul, and someone on Sunday night knocked on their door late. They were afraid, but they went to the door. It was the Taliban. And they basically said, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. The Taliban asked who they were. They told them we're missionaries. We're waiting for information to get out of here. And the Taliban fighters told them to stay in their apartment and wait for someone to the military to come tell them the buses were downstairs to take them safely to the airport. And that happened. So we know that kind of stuff is going on. Why would it be done that way? We don't know. We think it was because of what we told you about the Taliban working in conjunction with information and instructions from leadership in China and Russia, which is to go light to not be Taliban for a few weeks. Just peaceably do your thing, take and maintain control, but stop killing people. National Security Advisor Sullivan, he joined with Saki at the podium. He told reporters the administration expects the Taliban will have to be watched and observed over time. I cannot believe this guy is saying this kind of stuff and he's getting away with it. And he commented on whether it is prepared to meet their obligations to the basic human rights and human dignity of people to the safe passage of people to the airport. This is one of the most important people in our intelligence community, Jake Sullivan, works in the Biden White House. He's the guy that's plugged into everything going on internationally pertaining to the United States. 
and he is trying to sugarcoat the way he is saying, we don't have a freaking clue. We would hope they'll be humane and that they're committed to the basic human rights and human dignity of people. Oh my gosh, we're talking about people that cut people's heads off, that they take gay men up on three, four, five, six-story buildings and tie them in sacks and throw them off the buildings. (laughs) They think these people are going to respect human rights. That's not what they do. And guess who one of the ringleaders in all of this is? This is just another, another one of those things that just frosts me. Multiple reports. First of all, let me back up. Al Jazeera, you know that network. Arab net, television network, satellite network. It's been around for a long time. It's always been concentrating on things that happen in Arabian countries, Islamic countries. It's always been a far-left television network. And then one great American decided he was going to buy this network, and he did. Bought a network. Al Gore bought a network. Kept it for a while and saw a chance to flip it and make some money. So he sold it to the nation of Qatar, which is a hotbed for Islamic terrorism. So Qatar... They took Al Jazeera, the network, and when this entire takeover by the Taliban of Afghanistan began, Al Jazeera got wise and said, hey guys, why don't you let us go with you, talking to the Taliban. Let us present everything you're doing and all the messaging you want to send to the world. Let us be the source, the exclusive source to do just that. And so... There hasn't been any international messaging going out from the White House about this takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban, but it is not the case when it comes to the other side of this equation. The Taliban have their own staffing of Al Jazeera, and they're in front of cameras every time they want to be in front of cameras spewing out their venom. And guess who is the number one spokesperson for him? His last name is Rouhani. You may have heard the name before. You should have. He spent a vacation time, about six years, at Guantanamo Bay from 2001 to 2007 until President Obama and Joe decided, hey, We need to give him his freedom. He was one of several Taliban militants who posed with their guns for a press conference inside the presidential palace of Afghan, and this was on Sunday after they took over Kabul. Al Jazeera is the only media team permitted to accompany the Taliban into the palace, and they live-streamed the event. The jihadists recited verses from the Quran during their press conference celebrating conquest in the name of Allah. Al Jazeera interviewed three of those men. One of them spoke English pretty well. And he said he did so because he spent eight years in Guantanamo Bay. So, of course, everybody here, the counterterrorism experts, they went, I mean, they just went through and 
looked up the faces of everybody that had been in Guantanamo Bay to find out who this guy was. His name is Golam Rouhani, one of the first prisoners to be detained at Guantanamo Bay. Now, the Daily Mail claimed that they got Rouhani's files from the U.S. State and Defense Department and published several pages on Monday. According to these documents, the Taliban commander was born in 1975, raised in southeastern Afghanistan, sent to Iran by his parents when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. He went back to Afghanistan sometimes after 1992. He then took a job with Taliban's feared Ministry of Intelligence in Kabul. Police reportedly arrested him in 01 at a meeting with American officials seeking the whereabouts of Mullah Omar, Taliban's one-eyed founder and spiritual leader. According to those documents, Rouhani said his brother-in-law was the chief of intelligence for the Taliban, although he later claimed he only said that to impress Americans. Once he was taken into custody, he claimed he only took a low-level security position to avoid getting conscripted into frontline combat duty with the Taliban. He only worked for the Taliban once every two weeks or so as a driver or a street police officer. He spent most of his time running a shop. Say he wasn't a bad guy, right? He's just a regular old Muslim trying to make his way. The documents claim U.S. officials concluded that he was downplaying his role within the Taliban, and they judged him to be a threat to the U.S., its interest, and its allies. That's That, that phrase is on his official report. He was then shipped to Guantanamo, where while he was there, he committed 15 disciplinary infractions, including threatening guards, stuffing his flip-flops down the sink, but never committed any violence. On one occasion in 05, he told the Guantanamo Bay guard, we will get you on the outside. He constantly denied having any ties to Al-Qaeda or any knowledge of the 9-11 attacks. He claims to be no more than a simple shopkeeper who helped Americans. He stated his only wish was to return to Afghanistan and help his father, who is sick, in operating the family appliance store in Kabul. Well, the Pentagon evaluated him as a medium security risk at the time of his release and said he would likely rejoin anti-coalition militia entities upon returning to Afghanistan. He presented himself as a military commander. Wow, what a segue. Shopkeeper. And then he gets on Al Jazeera from the presidential palace after the Taliban, with him in tow, took over the whole country of Afghanistan. And now he's a military commander when he spoke on Al Jazeera. His U.S. lawyer said she never spoke to him again after he was released in 2007. And then on Monday, the New York Post identified another Taliban official, Mullah Karakawa, as one of the Guantanamo detainees that was released by Barack Obama. And listen to this. You remember this one? Obama released, I think it was five Taliban fighters in exchange for deserter Bo Bergdahl in 2014. 
The Obama administration promised it would take steps to prevent the freed Taliban Five from returning to the battlefield and angrily denied later reports that the Five had resumed active leadership positions within the terrorist organization. Folks, can you trust a terrorist? Can you believe a terrorist? Can you in any way realistically find any kind of legitimate justification for believing what a terrorist tells you? Hey, hey, I'm not going to do it. I'm not a bad person. I'm not going to go back and do bad things. Just let me out of here. Just let me out of here. And so (laughs) we've got this deserter, Bo Bergdahl, And Barack Obama brings him to the White House, brings his parents to the White House. They have a Rose Garden press meeting, and they brag about negotiating and getting Bo Bergdahl back from the Taliban by giving up five terrorist leaders who are today in Kabul looking for Americans. And they're not looking for Americans to invite them to a tea party. I guarantee you. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, The fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior fry, and value drink. Price participation may vary. Remember when the news was just facts? Remember when the news was truth? It still is. TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, Dan Newman. So just a reminder, if you missed the beginning of the show, we gave you the fundamental tenets of Sharia law translated from um, Arabic into English. 
Sharia law is what the Taliban has promised they are in the process of implementing as a way of life in Afghanistan moving forward. Now they are termed to be that nation is no longer Afghanistan. It is the Islamic Emirates. And so if you're interested at all in what that means, um, as soon as we sign off this show, we're going to post on our website, truthnewsnet.org. We're going to promote what those will publish, what those uh, Sharia law tenants are. I think everybody needs to know what to expect coming out of not just Afghanistan, but what has been implemented across the Muslim world, nations like Iran, Iraq, Syria, and many, many other nations. It's going to shake you when you find out what the Muslim adherents believe and the active ones, the ones that are very egregious and the ones that are powerful and are called terrorists, they believe explicitly and they practice all of these tenets of Islam. So let's do a quick segue for the last 20 minutes or so of the show today, away from what's going on in Afghanistan, what's happening over there. Let's talk about something that's a little bit nicer to discuss, like COVID-19 and our pandemic. (laughs) I guess you heard Texas Governor Greg Abbott, he tested positive yesterday for COVID-19. And of course, everybody would immediately say, "Uh uh-huh, there's one of those red state governors that's anti-everything. He's anti-vaccine, he's anti-mask, he's anti-all this kind of stuff, and he deserves it. The COVID gods found him. Well, part of that might be true. The uh, He's against the mandatory masking and the mandatory vaccination piece, but he's not against vaccinations. In fact, he has been vaccinated. Wait a minute, Dan. I thought you said he tested positive for COVID yesterday. Well, here you go again, folks. We were guaranteed for months and months and months. We got to get these vaccines to the marketplace. We've got to get them tested. We've got to get those vaccines in the arms of every American so they won't die. Governor Abbott had been vaccinated, as have millions of other Americans. The CDC is not reporting the numbers of what they call the breakthrough infections, which are people just like Governor Abbott who was vaccinated but gets COVID-19. And of course, they poo-pah that now. Let me tell you what the CDC said. When they first started experiencing these breakthrough infections, they were reporting those statistics on their website every week. They only did it for a couple of weeks, and then they issued this. I'm not going to read verbatim. In summary, what it says, we're no longer going to list the infections of COVID-19 that come through breakthrough infections separately, they are just going to be lumped in and part of the reported new infections. Now, why would they do that? They don't want us to know how many people that are vaccinated actually are testing positive again after the vaccination for COVID-19. They also don't want you to know this. Three weeks in a row across the nation, the reported deaths with an official cause of death of COVID-19, there were more of those three straight weeks. We haven't got last week's report yet. More people that were vaccinated died of COVID-19 
than people that had not been vaccinated who died from COVID-19. Now, I don't know about that, folks. You're not supposed to die. In fact, you're not supposed to get COVID-19 if you've already been vaccinated. Somebody, somebody needs to explain that to me. So speaking of mandates, mandates of mask wearing, mandates for vaccinations, we've been watching it just a little bit at a time. Here and there, government officials coming out, corporate leadership coming out, and demanding vaccinations. Yesterday, if you weren't on the show with us, you probably need to go to Apple Podcasts or go to Spotify Podcast and get our show yesterday there, TNN Live, and listen to the last half hour. We had the mother of a nurse in California who operates an emergency room. The mother's name was Jane. She was on with us, and she was telling us about what's going on across Northern California in the way of health care and how this vaccination stuff is just destroying health care there and she predicted it's going to move across the nation, and we're seeing it. What vaccinations have turned into is an opportunity for politicians who want to seize power over their citizens to ramp it up one more notch, illustrated best by New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. So effective yesterday in New York City, listen to this. People, anybody in New York, you live there, you're visiting there, you have got to show proof of vaccination along with your photo ID to just be there in the city. You can't move around the city unless you have and are willing to show proof of your vaccination along with a photo ID. Now, wait a minute, photo IDs. We hear that coming up all the time about being racist when it comes to uh, voting, getting registered to vote. You can't do that. It's racist. But now it's okay for the New York City mayor to do that. And in addition to requiring a photo ID, require every citizen that wants to move around New York City to provide proof of vaccination. According to one news outlet, to show proof of vaccination, New Yorkers will have to show the New York State Excelsior app on their phones, New York City's COVID Safe app on your phone, a photo or a printout of their CDC vaccination card or other official immunization record. Whatever works, All you have to do is show that proof and have ID as well, the mayor said. So what about those who aren't New York residents? Well, they got to have a photo or printout of an official vaccination record of a dose administered outside the U.S. for any of the AstraZeneca, SK Bioscience Serum Institute of India, Covishield, and Vaxer via Cinefarm or Cinevac vaccines. So de Blasio said they are going to educate people. And so their operation to so-called educate people about mandatory vaccination, it includes a $10 million campaign on radio, TV, and social media. 
plus a group of 600 canvassers who are going door to door to all businesses in New York City that have to implement the new regulations. And those places include restaurants, catering halls, event spaces, hotel banquet rooms, bars, nightclubs, coffee shops, cafeterias, gyms, swimming pools, dance studios, movie theaters, music and concert halls, museums and galleries, aquariums and zoos, professional sports arenas, indoor stadiums, convention centers, exhibition halls, performing arts theaters, arcades, pool halls, adult gaming centers, and indoor play areas. In other words, folks in New York City, if you had any thought or any idea about running up there or you're going to be there or going through New York to go somewhere else in the world and you have a layover to go to Virgil's Barbecue on 43rd Street, you got to have proof of vaccination and a photo ID to just get in a cab. So what if you don't do that? Noncompliance. De Blasio said the penalties for noncompliance, which begin to be enforced on September 13th, will start at $1,000 and increase to $5,000 for repeat offenders. Our goal is not to penalize restaurants and indoor entertainment and fitness businesses. We want to get everyone clear about what they need to do and just make sure people do it. He assured everybody, warm and fuzzy. Right now, businesses and venues are not asking for proof of vaccination in New York. What he didn't talk about in his announcement was how these measures would be enforced after September 13. de Blasio has the support of business owners, theaters, and movie theaters who advocate mandatory vaccination. There have also been massive demonstrations against it, not just in New York City, but across the country. And you know what the irony of this is? Now, Bill de Blasio is married to an African-American woman. So he understands that side. I mean, he lives it every day. And his wife is very verbal and is very much a political activist. So in what he's doing here, do you know that less than 30% of African-Americans in New York City have been vaccinated? They don't believe in it. They don't want it. Less than 30%. So what does that mean about the 70% that haven't been vaccinated? If this is not the epitome of racism, I don't know what is. But nobody's calling the mayor out for that. After all, he's the mayor of the biggest city in the United States. What he says, just because he's who he is and who he represents, it's okay. He can do whatever he wants. What have I told you? Political power. Meanwhile, the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, the Oakland Raiders that vacated the Bay City out west to go to southern Nevada in Las Vegas, the Raiders are requiring everybody at home games in the upcoming NFL season to show proof of vaccination documentation or get your jab at the game at Allegiant Stadium prior to these home games. It was announced yesterday, hours after Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak, who's a Democrat, said that large events in the states are going to require people to 
show their vaccination to prove they've been vaccinated. Fans who aren't can get the jab on site before entering the building, but they've got to watch the game while wearing a face covering. Health and safety has always been our number one priority, said the owner of the team, Mark Davis, who I know. After consultation with Governor Sisolak and other community leaders, this policy ensures we will be able to operate at full capacity without mask for fully vaccinated fans for the entire season. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy? There's one more little embarrassing thing that happened, not getting much news time. Afghanistan has kind of dominated Joe Biden's news time. It's been a rough week for the president outside of this uh, Afghanistan thing. Yesterday, in a stinging rejection, OPEC, OPEC, that group of uh, Middle Eastern oil countries, they denied Biden's request for them to produce more oil, saying that its member countries and its allies that include Russia, by the way, conveniently think markets do not need more oil than they plan to release in the coming months, despite U.S. pressure to add supplies to check an oil price rise. Appearing weak on the world stage has already proven to be a drag on Joe Biden and his agenda, if he has one. And now it's set to impact Americans at home. Gas prices continue to rise thanks to record-setting inflation on Biden's watch that sent him begging for more oil after he personally killed multiple domestic projects that would have kept the United States energy independent as we were first ruled to be in October. Just another example of how weak and how incapable of governing from the top is Joe Biden. Hey, that's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for being here every day. Love having you, and we appreciate your support. Stay close. News is happening by the hour. We'll have it here. Anything very important that happens, you'll see it on our website, truthnewsnet.org. And, of course, if you miss anything today, Make sure you're back in the morning. We'll be back at 9 a.m. Central right here at TNN Live. Have a great one. So long, everybody. Hosanna, Hosanna. All of my heart is crying. Hosanna, Hosanna. He's coming back soon. We need him more than ever. All of my heart is crying. Hosanna. He's raising up a standard. Hosanna, Hosanna. We need to wake up, acknowledge his presence. When he comes in and you what he's saying Cause there's a message That's right, we need the truth We're doing forever in our midnight Your race is up And to you. Abba says he's gonna help us win it He got me feeling like Ooh, I knew it when I met him He's loved me since forever Got me feeling like
Ozana, Ozana, Ozana.